is above and called us to sit with him at the right hand of his heavenly father above all powers above all principalities anything that would come against you our god in that name of jesus is bigger amen what does man have to fear when god is on his side praise you father god no other name jesus Jesus, Jesus. That name of Jesus.
Hallelujah. Glory to God. Lord Jesus, we lift up our hands. Let's lift up our hands today and worship him. Hallelujah. We magnify and we glorify the mighty name of Jesus, the name that belongs to us. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You know, when you have Jesus in your heart, the greater one lives on the inside of us. Amen. And when the greater one is on the inside of us, we have nothing to fear. Amen. God delights in performing the impossible in our lives. He likes it when there looks like there's no way out for you. He likes it because then when he comes through for you, there's no doubt it was God that did it. Amen. God is so good. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that we're here today. Praise the Lord. Before you're seated, why don't you uh, say hi to your neighbor. And if you think about it, wave to Ben up there too and say hi to everybody at home. We're so glad for those that are joining us today. Praise the Lord. We're going to dismiss our children to their class at this time. Praise the Lord. Powerful worship today. I want to do all those three songs again next week. And look, we're family here, okay? And it's just how I am. Barbara was so cute. She got... You know Barbara. Barbara. She's going to be moving in April. We're really stand, but just stand up. Let's just. Okay. So, all right. Anyway, she she's so precious. Anyway, <laughs> I hope I don't embarrass you. I don't think I will. She was so cute on that one song. She was so into it. She was just. <laughs> Blessed me. Anyway, we're glad that you're here today. If this is your first time visiting with us, we want you to know that we're happy that you're here. If you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand. So we can see who you are. Wonderful. We're so glad that you're here. Praise the Lord. This gentleman in the back. Great to have you. Just we are family here. And um, we know that you will be blessed by the presence of God and the word of God. We are glad that uh, people are joining us today by Facebook. Uh, we thought that everything was fixed on our YouTube channel. It's just been a variety of weird things. It has nothing to do with YouTube. And yesterday they let us know everything is go. They worked on, they worked into the evening on Friday. They worked on Saturday on it and they thought everything was go. And then this morning when they flipped the switch, I guess it didn't go. And so uh, we are at least, praise the Lord, on Facebook today via a phone again. It has nothing to do with Facebook or YouTube. It's weird stuff uh, that should work that's not working. So let's just agree together right now. Father, we agree in the name of Jesus that whatever is wrong with this, we agree, Father, that you reveal it and you give wisdom to those that are working on it in Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We want to let you know some of the things that are going on. Um... Oh, is it working now? It's on? There are no issues, they texted me. Well, look at there, how fast our prayer worked. <laughs> there are no issues, we're on YouTube? You've got it there, okay, all right. Well, you don't need to watch it there, you're right here, Maureen. Oh, she's got people that are following her all over the country. <laughs> okay, 
there are no issues. Good. All right. Um, uh, a couple of things we want to let you know about. Um, we do have our live stream service every Sunday evening. It's live stream only at 6 p.m. and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can watch us on YouTube and Facebook. And then during the week, we do have an Awana program at the church for our children age 4 through 5th uh, grade. And that's Tuesday afternoons from 3.30 until 5 o'clock. And this is such a blessing to, we have some a few families that attend from outside of the church. Um, and um, it's, it's so good for the children because, especially for homeschool children as well as public school children who are not in school full-time, it's great for the parents. They're memorizing Bible verses, and it's just a, a wonderful thing. We're so grateful to have that each week. If you have a child or a grandchild or perhaps a neighbor, somebody that you know, um, you can go online. You can sign up online. You can contact the church office. You could probably just show up on Tuesdays at 3.30 as well. Um, and we follow all the same safety protocols that they, and we started our Awana program when, um, when the YMCA daycare opened and we looked at their safety protocols, we did theirs and more. And so, um, so we are, are good to go on that. Then also on Friday nights, they began in October. We have on Friday nights at 630, uh, both our youth and our young adults that meet and, uh, what a blessing. They have a wonderful time of worship and word and fellowship and our kids need it. We've got a great group of young people in our church who are on fire for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. And we're, we're grateful for that. Um, I just want to remind you that, um, uh, in 2021, I mentioned this last week, but, uh, Jesus was very clear when he left the earth. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, um, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. Anyway, we just to refresh the great commission this year and, um, we are asking God to open doors for us of opportunity for us to do two things. One, when we meet people or know people that, that don't know the Lord, that God makes opportunities for us to be able to share the love of God and to share our faith with them. To be conscious about it. You know, I pray about it in the middle of the night, thanking God to open specific doors. And, and many people in our church are able right now to minister to, and their neighbors are open to the gospel like never before. With the uncertainty that's in the world, we can't get our focus off of our great commission, and that is to reach people for Jesus. And so um, people want answers. People want to see that we have the peace of God. We have the joy of God. We are filled with the love of God, and they want to know why are you like this? And so um, we're believing God for open doors of that, of people that don't know Jesus. But then also, you know, there are others who are in the body of Christ, maybe in our church family, maybe somebody that you know, who they're hurting. And they don't know the word of God. They don't have answers. They may be believers, but they don't have peace in their life. And they need to know. And so for number two, for us to reach out to those who are also believers, whether you do it through a text message, a phone call, a visit, um, just in the process of seeing them, really we are focusing on trusting God for these things. So we talked about it a little bit last week, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you can consider it. Did you have opportunity this last week 
I should ask, but I won't. I won't ask. It's between us and God. Uh, but did we have opportunity this last week to do this? Praise the Lord. Time is short, and this is our goal for 2021. Amen? Oh, give me a better amen than that. It's still better than that. All right, that's good. Thank you guys so much. Um, just as a reminder, um, you should be getting your giving letters in the mail. Uh, you should have already gotten it, or you will be getting it next week. Um, if you don't receive it, uh, please contact the office, because we have had instances where we have sent people things through the mail, and they haven't gotten it for many weeks. So if that's you, please contact us and let us know, and we'll be sure to get another letter out to you uh, in, in a timely manner. Um, you can uh, give uh, uh, via check, and if you ever give via check, there's offering envelopes in the envelope, uh, check or cash, and as you leave uh, the uh, sanctuary, the ushers are in the back with containers, and you can just drop your envelope there, or you can give online at foothillfamily.com, or you can text your gift, which I think that text to give is right up there. You can just do it right from your phone. Also, another way to give. Praise the Lord. Why don't we pray? Lord, we're so thankful to be together today. Hallelujah. Thank you that your word never fails us never becomes obsolete or comes to an end, but you are faithful, Lord, and we rest in your faithfulness. We declare over our church family God's peace, God's protection, and God's provision in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that this year we believe you for opening doors of opportunity for us to be able to share our faith, to be able to pray for people, to be able to minister to people, to love on people, Lord, that they see Jesus in us. Hallelujah. We believe you for that, Lord, this year, for an increase in people being born again and filled with the Spirit and on fire for God and hungry for God. We thank you for it, Lord. You are good. Your mercy to us endures forever. Thank you for your presence here today that ministers to each heart, that ministers to each person, whatever it is that they need, Lord. Speak to us and speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. stand again and worship with us. sing that as a family. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship
worship you. I worship you. Cause you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here. Touching every heart, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, turning lives around. See it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. 
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for direction and utterance today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. And then also in Mark chapter 11, Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Then in Mark chapter 11, we have what I believe, in my opinion, is the, the most concise explanation of the operation of faith given to us by Jesus. You may recall the, the story, the context of the things that had happened. Jesus had the day before been walking between Jerusalem and Bethany and there was a, fruit, a, a fig tree that had leaves on it which is supposed to be a sign that there's fruit. But there was no fruit on it so Jesus cursed the fig tree. He spoke to it and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. 
The next morning they came back by going back from Bethany to Jerusalem and this fig tree that he had cursed the day before was withered and dried up from the roots. His disciples saw it. Peter called it to his attention and Jesus said in verse 22, have faith in God. So in other words, he's identifying that the change in the fig tree came about as a result of the operation of faith. And then he describes what faith is. He said, For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He's saying this thing called faith, this exercise, this force of faith will change things in the physical and temporal realm. He went on to say in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now notice, let's keep reading verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus is telling us that the number one hindrance to faith, the number one hindrance to faith producing results is unforgiveness. Brother Hagin used to tell a story about a meeting that he was holding. I think it was somewhere in Texas. And he was ministering, teaching the word, and he got over into 1 John and quoted the scripture, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer and eternal life abideth not in you. And so he was talking about uh, the truth of that scripture, and then he added, that means mother-in-law too. Well, everybody shuffled. And uh, there was in this church a couple that uh, were friends with mom and dad Hagen, had been for a number of years, and they were ordained ministers themselves but I'm not sure exactly what the situation was, but they, whether they were in between pastorates or whatever the case was. But they were in the church just as a part of the church for uh, a period of time. And so after the morning session the next day, they, were, uh, they went to lunch with this couple. The Hagens went to lunch with this couple. And they were in this little small town diner or whatever it was, cafeteria or whatever. And uh, she said to Brother Hagen, Brother Hagen, you've got me all confused. And he was joking with her and said, no, I didn't get you confused. You were confused before I got here and the truth of the word just showed it up. And so then he said, well, what's your problem? And she said, she brought to his remembrance what he said the last the, in the evening service the night before about if you hate your brother, you're a murderer and eternal life doesn't abide in you. And you said, that means mother-in-law too. He said, yeah, I remember saying that. He said, what's the problem? She said, I hate my mother-in-law. And he said, well, if that's the case, then eternal life doesn't abide in you. She started trying to make her case for why she knew that she should be saved or uh, how she qualified because she was in the ministry or whatever. And Brother Hagin just very simply said to, to each one of these points she was making, it doesn't matter if you hate your mother-in-law, you're... Uh, you're without salvation. Now he knew that she was saved. He knew that she knew she was saved. 
but in making the point of how important it is to walk in love, to operate in love, Jesus told us that it would keep our faith from working if we didn't. If faith works by love, then that means faith won't work without it. So she explained the situation, the, the reasons why she had something against her mother-in-law and that kind of thing. And Brother Hagin tried to help her with the word, did help her with the word, and just told her, or once she asked, he got to the place where she was just flabbergasted. She said, what am I going to do? And he said this. He said, act like you love her. Act like you would if you did love her because you do. In other words, he's saying let the love of God overcome the feelings that have separated you and caused the conflict. Well, she took that to heart. And she began to change some things about how she thought and the things that she said and the way that she prayed. It was a several week meeting that they were having at this church. So later on, uh, the next week I think it was, there was a, a fellowship thing that she was going to have at her house after the service and invite the pastor and his wife and the Hagans and others in, in uh, their group. And when she, they agreed to go. And so when they were there, she came up to Brother Hagin and said, you know, Brother Hagin, you were right. She said, I do love them. They are lovely people. He had used this example to prove it to her, to show her when they were at lunch that time the previous week. One of the things that he said to prove the point, to bring her to understanding, is he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look me right in the eye and say I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time, I want you to check down on the inside of you and see what's happening. And so she looked him in the eye and said, I hate my mother-in-law. He said, now what happened on the inside of you? And she said, something down there is scratching me. <laughs> he said, well, sure. That's the presence of God. That's the love of God on the inside of you. So as using that as a basis, as I said, she changed the way she thought, changed the way she said, spoke, changed the way that she acted, and even changed the way that she prayed. And here she was the next week, really not but a matter of a few days, and um, she said to Brother Hagin, you know, they are lovely people. They've got clerks just like everybody else would have, but I do love them. They're lovely people. Well, several days went by, and then Brother Hagin got a call from her just before the evening service, just before he left his hotel to go to the evening service. And she said, Brother Hagin, my daughter is about to have one of these epileptic fits. Now, she had been diagnosed by the doctor who had some experience in this, in this regard, in this area of medicine. And the doctor had said, this is the worst case of epilepsy I've ever seen. And she would get into, go into these seizures. I think they called them grand mal seizures back then. I don't know whether they still use the terminology today or not. But there were little preliminary attacks, preliminary things, signs and signals that would let them know that this big attack, this grand seizure, was about to take place. 
And so she asked if Brother Hagen would stop by there on the way to the church service, on the way to the meeting, and pray for her daughter. And he said, yeah, I will. So they were on their way, and Brother Hagen said, while they were driving in the car, he said there was a voice that came from the back seat that said, don't lay hands on her. Don't lay hands on the child. But say this, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my daughter in Jesus' name. Well, Brother Hagin asked his wife if she heard that. To him, it was real like it was an audible voice. But he was the only one that heard it. So anyway, when they got there, they went into the house, and this daughter was in this preliminary attack just before the big thing hit. And Brother Hagin relayed to her what the word of the Lord had said to him on the way. And without any hesitation at all, she turned and looked toward her daughter, pointed her finger at her daughter and said, Satan, take your hands off my daughter. I'm walking in love. And as fast as you can snap your fingers, that thing stopped. I love this story because no matter where you are, you can find yourself in some part of this story. Some might say, well, yeah, but that won't work for me because I haven't been walking in love. Well, she hadn't either, but for the last several few days. But she was in love. She was walking according to the love of God toward her family. She had done away with the unforgiveness, the hard feelings that she had toward her, uh, toward her in-laws, and not opened the door for her faith to work. Brother Hagin said that he asked her sometime later, has her daughter ever had any more trouble with it, these seizures? And she said, one time, just a couple of months after the service, after the meeting that, uh, uh, that we were talking about, she started having some of these preliminary signs and signals to let her know that the, the uh, big attack was coming. And she, he said, what'd you do? And he, she said, I did the same thing I did the first time. I said, no, you don't, Mr. Devil. I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my daughter. And she never had another seizure the rest of her life. Folks, you can't overemphasize the importance of walking in love. We are loved children of a loved father. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. But whether we walk in it, whether we let it out and develop in it is up to us. It's not up to God, it's up to us. Now let me change gears a little bit here and go to Luke chapter 3. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Draconitis, and Lysanias, or whatever, the Tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of the Lord came unto John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country around about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make the, the, his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
Folks, John found himself in the word. He found his ministry, he found his purpose in life in the words of Isaiah the prophet. We're to find ourselves in the word too. We're to find our purpose, our work in this life in the word of God. Verse seven, then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's not the friendliest greeting that I would expect for ministers to operate in concerning the people that come to them for help or to enjoy the results of their ministry. But God knows and even said through the prophets of the Old Testament on a couple of occasions, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. John recognized that some of these people were coming just because he was the hot thing. Just because he was the popular minister at the time. So what did he tell them to do? Verse 8, he said, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And all the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans, those who are tax collectors, to be baptized. And he said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, all the, all the men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them, All say unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one cometh, one mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. John's answer to those that came to be baptized for repentance of sins was to let repentance change the way you live. He said to each group when they asked, what shall we do? The answer was the same for each group. Let the baptism of repentance change the way you're living your life. In other words, not just an assent with your mind or with your mouth, but something that really changes the way that you live, changes the way that you do things. Verse 19, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod has done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Folks, I want you to know something. John the Baptist preached politics. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. 
Now we know that John wound up being beheaded. But he didn't hold back from saying what was right and what was true. And it wasn't just the issue about Herodias. It said he reproved Herod for all the evil things that he did. I want to pose a question to you. What is the role of the church in the present day? There are a lot of people that say that preach the word, that which Paul told Timothy means to stay away from political issues. John seemed to have the green light to talk about the things that Herod did. He didn't pull back just because it was Herod. Herod certainly had a power to do him harm because he wound up putting him in prison and later taking his head. That didn't seem to scare John from telling what he believed to be the truth. We're going to come back to that question a little bit later, but I want to remind you of some things that the Bible tells us about the end, things that we've looked at before, but there's just so much there you can't cover it all in one or even a, a, a few services. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. This is when Jesus is asked of his disciples, what are the signs of the end? What are, your, when, what are the signs of your coming and what are the signs of the end of the world? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. First thing Jesus said, first thing Jesus indicated when he's telling them about the end times is there will be times of deception. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. In other words, the preaching of some will pull them away, pull many Christians away. It says many. So it says that many will be pulled away by the claims of some who claim to be sent by God. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must yet come to pass. No matter what we hear, no matter what rumors are going around, we're in, enjoined and instructed to maintain the peace of God in our hearts. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. This word nation is the word ethnos. It means races will rise up against races. Kingdoms are countries against countries. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Does Jesus say anywhere in here that you can change by prayer or by any other action what he identifies as races, race wars, race riots, one race, one ethnic group against another? We're not going to be able to change that. 
Jesus said, this is the way that it's going to be, and that is the way that it's going to be. Same thing with kingdoms or countries against countries. We know the ethnic positions and activities that are taking place around us. And it seems that things have accelerated just within the last four or five years to something that I, I certainly never expected to see. The kingdom against kingdom. That could be identified as the controversy about America first as opposed to other countries. And the idea of putting America first is in the eyes of some to be a great, great, great evil. We're not going to be able to change that any more than we can change the earthquake situation or the pestilence. Pestilence doesn't always mean sickness, but in this case it does. We're not going to be able to change these things, folks. These are signs for us to recognize where we are on God's timeline. Time All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. He's talking about persecution. We're not going to be able to change the persecution aspect either. There are places in the world where Christians are being persecuted in greater degree and in greater numbers, in greater measure than ever before in the history of the world. Christians are losing their lives in great measure in certain parts of the world. At this point in time, India being the, the number one on the list. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Notice he's talking about part of the deception that takes place at the end times, in the end times, is people trading in the love of God for hatred. Now this first part of Jesus' instruction has to do with the church, the people of God. Later on in the things that he talks about and the other signs, some of those are during the tribulation, th that take place during the tribulation period. So they certainly are not relevant to the church because we're not going to be here for the tribulation. But he's talking about things changing. He's talking about people changing. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Notice in verse 11, many false prophets shall rise. Why will false prophets rise? Why is false prophets identified as something relative to the end times in Jesus instruction here the things that he reveals to us because people want to know what's going to happen in the future 
the false prophets are going to be telling what's going to happen in the future. But they're not prophesying by God or by the Spirit of God. Paul talked about to Timothy, instructed him to preach sound doctrine. Because the time will come, he said, when people will turn away from sound doctrine and heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they'll find teachers in the church, whether they're of the kingdom of God or not, they'll find teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Folks, sometimes the way things are are not the way that we want them to be. And just as I said before, we can't change the things that Jesus is talking about here. They will be exactly the way, the way he says them. But some people will reject that and seek for others to comfort them and tell them something else. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This word nations is the word ethnos again, to all races. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all races, and then shall the end come. Now notice verse 13. Well, back up to verse 12. The love of many shall wax cold. In other words, not everybody is going to walk in love. Not every Christian is going to let the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts at the new birth develop and be seen in their lives. We've already seen that many, many people will be deceived in the end or at the end time and their love will turn into hate. Folks, hatred is completely opposed to Christianity. Whether it's unforgiveness, as we referenced in the story about the, the mom who had the epileptic daughter, or if it's hatred in, the, in any other form, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. What does it mean, endure to the end? What is Jesus talking about enduring to the end? He can't be just talking about living through it. No, the endurance is living through it without letting the circumstances of life change who you are. Let me remind you of what Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This word perilous means dangerous, but it also means strength reducing. Well, isn't that saying the same thing Jesus just told us? There will be events. There will be circumstances outside the church proper that will change many people. This know also that in the last days perilous or strength-reducing times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, 
Notice the first thing on the list. Lovers of their own selves. What does that mean? He's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world. The world's not operating in the love of God and can't because it's not inside them. So he's talking about the church. When he says men will become lovers of their own selves, that means the end time events, the circumstances that are going on in the world in which we live. Not the world which we are of, but the world that we are in. Those circumstances will cause many in the church to be distracted and pulled away from looking out for the other guy and putting themselves first. In other words, these strength-reducing times will for some, even many, cause them to forget the Great Commission, to fail to reach out because they're so consumed with their own needs and wants. So lovers of their own selves is first on the list, covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. That one seems to be working overtime. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In other words, Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost that the circumstances of the end, the race against race, the country against country, the earthquakes, the pestilences, the famines, those things will cause many of in the church, the body of Christ, to be changed, for their character to be changed, for their behavior to be changed. To become what this list says will be the result of those who allow themselves to be shaken rather than to stand on the rock of God's word. It says they'll have a form of godliness. They'll look the same, but they'll deny the power of God, which in part is the love of God in you. So the whole issue is to not let circumstances apply, not to let the things that are unique to this latter day period change who you are and how you operate. To stand and cling to the word rather than succumb to the fear of the enemy. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. What causes you to faint? When he's talking about fainting here, he's talking about giving up. What makes people give up? I think number one on the list is delay. I think the thing that makes people give up probably more than anything else is what seems to be the delay of the word of God coming to pass or producing the results that it says that it will.
you can either use time to your advantage or you can be destroyed by time. You can either let the word of God grow and develop in your life over time or be discouraged by the time and give up. Those are really the only two options. So here's what Jesus said in this parable. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of thine adversary. Now when she's asking to be avenged, that means that there's been an injustice done to her. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a matter of avenging anything. She's not coming just to ask the judge to do something for her to benefit her. She's asking the judge, the unjust judge, to fix a wrong, to right a wrong, to fix an injustice. And it says of the unjust judge, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Folks, there's something more important than injustice. There's something more important than righting a wrong. And that is to trust in God and to operate by faith. I believe a great injustice has been done in our country. I believe with all my heart that President Trump won this last election. I believe, I'm convinced with just the evidence that I've seen, and I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know about, but I'm convinced that the Democrat Party stole the election. So what? What does that do for us then? Well, part of me wants to cry out to God for the, the injustice to be made right. I think a lot of us, when we prayed concerning the election, we were really praying, at least according to our will, for President Trump to be reelected. And folks, there have been things that we've seen, even with Donald Trump winning the, in 2016, where God has turned the clock back. He stayed off certain things and certain works of the enemy to give us more time. We saw that in 1980 with Reagan's election. The country was on a downward spiral. But when Reagan was elected, 
it put the brakes and slowed down the work of the enemy. That's always to the church's advantage. But here was an opportunity for God to put the brakes on here too. And he didn't. I don't for one minute believe that the devil is stronger than God nor that the devil is stronger than the church. So I think we need to take a real long, hard, honest look at what this means. I believe what it means is that Jesus is coming soon. That it's not the time to put the brakes on. It's the time for the church to be who the church was meant to be. This has been an interesting week. Seems like every week gets more and more interesting. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, speaks to this issue. He says this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, do you remember the question that I asked you earlier? What is the church's role in this last day period of time? What are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to read the Psalms? And talk about the healing ministry of Jesus. And stay out of things that are taking place around us. Or is the church supposed to speak up? Now I'm not talking about everything. For example, President Biden. That's going to take some getting used to saying. President Biden issued an executive order to stop the Keystone Pipeline. Well, that's a political issue. That's a, a positional issue. I think it was a dumb thing to do. And it certainly didn't help the country, but rather will hurt us. But that, that and things like that aren't any part of the church's business. But what about the transgender issue? Is the church supposed to stay quiet about that? What about the abortion issue? There was an executive order that opened up taxpayer funds to pay for abortions in other countries. What are we supposed to do with that? Did you see the interview with Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who chided the Christians for having given up democracy for the sake of abortion? I guess what she's saying is it's unpatriotic to oppose abortion. 
Folks, I got to tell you, I am so concerned for Speaker Pelosi. Every time I look at her, I have the sense that she's got one foot in hell and the other slipping. Don't get me wrong, I don't want her to die. I want her to come to the truth. I want her spirit to be reborn so that she can go to heaven. I'm not praying for people to die. And honestly, that's part of the reason, probably the biggest reason, why I haven't put a lot of credibility into the criticism that I've received for preaching politics. In the first place, I don't believe I am preaching politics. Some may think that I'm preaching politics today, but I'm not. I'm preaching the love of God. And I know, whether anybody else knows it or not, I know how I'm praying for the people that are persecuting the church and are working evil against the country and, and therefore against me too. I'm praying the love of God upon them. I'm praying the blessings of God's word to be made real in their lives. I'm praying for people to have encounters, supernatural encounters with God that changes their lives. So what is the church supposed to do? There's a lot of teachers saying a lot of things. There's a lot of prophets prophesying a lot of things. There's a lot of deception that will take place as a result of it. So what should we do? Let me draw your attention back to Psalm 37. Verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. This word fret means to be a glow, to warm up or to get heated up. In other words, he's saying don't allow yourself to become angry or wrathful because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. In other words, will outlast them. What are we to do in the meantime? Trust in the Lord and do good. Do good means not let the circumstances of life change who we are. It means to avoid the list that's described by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Don't let the love of God in you be turned towards something else. But recognize, recognize the days and the times that we live in. Folks, God's word doesn't change because the wrong, the wrong person is in office. God's word doesn't change no matter who does what. 
Let me ask you a question. Can I as a Christian support Antifa? Knowing that violence and hatred is incompatible with Christianity. Can I support what they do? Can I support what anybody does that's motivated by hatred? Folks, I'm going to say something that is my personal opinion. You judge this for whatever you think it's worth. But the only thing unifying the Democrat Party right now is hatred of Donald Trump. Can I, therefore, as a Christian, if that's true, and Speaker Pelosi is one of the main ones that revealed that, bless her heart, every time you see her, she's just eaten up with hatred. Well, if that's true, if my statement, my premise is true, can I support the Democrat Party as a Christian? I'll let you answer that for yourself. What good is the church in the last days if we don't stand up and be different? And by different, I mean not allow ourselves to be swept up by political cause, but instead stand strong on the word. If not that, then what are we here for? What benefit is there to the world for us to be here if we're going to act like the world acts? We're the only thing, we being the church, is the only thing that's keeping the rest of the world from destroying themselves by the influence of the devil. So what's our part? Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land and thou shalt verily be fed. God will take care of us, folks. God will take care of the people that stand on his word. God will take care of the ones who allow the life of God and the love of God in us to dictate our actions to dictate our prayers. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. The word delight means to be soft or pliable. Now he's saying these things in the midst of evildoers, people doing injustice to us. These are sobering thoughts for me. We have clear-cut instruction about what to do. The question is, are we going to do it? 
Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. It means if we'll be soft and pliable in God's hands, then he'll put his desires in our heart. Verse 5, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. This is the way God always works, folks. He puts his desires in your heart. And then as you believe his word for the fulfillment of the promise, the promise is fulfilled. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the men who bring wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Don't let your love be turned into hatred. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. We could go on throughout the rest of the psalm. Every verse is a promise of God's fulfillment and blessings, even though evildoers are doing their thing. I see a lot of people that are looking to prophets or those that claim to be prophets for direction and for knowledge based on their prediction of the future and future events. But this, this, this psalm says a little bit further down that the steps of the good man are ordered of the Lord. In other words, we're to allow ourselves to be guided by the Holy Ghost. Brother Hagin used to say it's unscriptural for people to look to prophets for direction under the new covenant. He's right. Because God leads each of us by the inward witness, not by prophets. Well, what about all the prophecies and things that are taking place? I don't know. But I know that God certainly isn't steering me toward any of them. I go as much by what God doesn't say as what he does say. And he hadn't brought any so-called prophet to me or pointed me toward them. Because to be perfectly honest with you, I don't need to know what some prophet says about the future. I'm going to be the same way whether it does come to pass or it doesn't. I wish everybody had my same conviction about that. I'm going to close with Jeremiah chapter 29. This is the word of the Lord to Israel after they'd been carried into captivity into Babylon. Verse 1, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem under the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Then it mentions some other people that is for secondarily. Verse 4, 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all those that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of that city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall you have peace. For thus saith the Lord, God, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken you to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, or think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Let me read that last verse, that verse 11, from another translation. Oh, wait a minute. Pulled up the wrong verse. It's great to have the Bible at your fingertips in these apps. Except when you forget how to run them. <laughs> verse 11, finally I got it. For I know the, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So the character and the nature of God, I'm not saying that this, this verse is applied directly or specifically to us. I've heard so many things from different prophets or seen different things from different prophets that this person in the Old Testament is supposed to relate to Don, Donald Trump or this person in the Old Testament is supposed to relate to Donald Trump or this person in the Old Testament is supposed to relate to Donald Trump. Folks, if God intends for all those different things that the prophets are saying that represent Donald Trump, if that's really who he is, if he's all these people, then he's more important than Jesus. But notice the character and the nature of God because that never changes. Times change, circumstances change, situations change, but God's character and God's nature never changes. And notice the connection between the character and the nature of God then in, in that situation to be able to interpret the character and the nature of God toward us in our, our current circumstances. No matter who's in charge, no matter what ungodly influence may be upon or over the people of God, if we trust in him and stand upon his word, he'll bless us in the midst of turmoil. He'll deliver us from the evil work of the enemy. He'll exalt us as we exalt the name of Jesus. 
So folks, don't be afraid of what's going to happen. We've got nothing to fear. And the last thing that we read when Jesus is referring to the signs of the end regarding the church is that the glory of God would be revealed. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the earth for a witness or with proof or evidence and then shall the end come. God takes care of his own and the things that he has promised, the peace that he's promised to the church in the last days. And the glory, the power that he says that the Holy Ghost will bring to bear for the church to bring people into the kingdom of God. If it's necessary to endure the present government for one term, two terms, or as many terms as it takes for Jesus to return, that's a small price to pay. Because there's nothing that will satisfy us like God's power and God's blessing for us standing on his word. I think, I'll say it again, there's something a lot more important than the injustice that's been done to us politically. And that is keeping our faith. Growing in faith. Developing our faith. To see God show himself and reveal himself in power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your the truth of your word. These are uncertain times, Father, but less so for the church than for anybody else on the planet because our trust is in you. We thank you, Father, for guiding us, directing our steps by the Holy Ghost. Lead us to people that are hungry for you. Bring opportunities to us to share Jesus with them that they might rescue themselves from the despair of this present world. Father, grant us boldness to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Show us your glory, Father. Manifest your glory upon your church or to your church in miraculous ways. Jesus said that the works that he did we would do also and even greater works than these shall we do because he went to you, Father. Let those greater works be made manifest. Let those greater works be seen and known upon your people. We don't pray these things just for ourselves, Father, but for every Christian in every place in the earth 
that names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Flood the earth with your power, Father, as we stand upon your truth, as we depend upon your word. Strengthen us, Father. Let the peace of God be seen and known on us in great measure. Order our steps, Lord, so that we always be in the right place at the right time. We'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for all that is wrought in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Now say this. The glory of the Lord shall be seen and known throughout the whole earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day.